live from my man cave in Chesapeake, Virginia, this is MLS Gone Wild. I'm your host, Blake, here to bring you the latest news, rumors, opinions, analytics, interviews, and all things MLS and American soccer. Let's get it going. Hello and welcome to MLS Gone Wild, episode 92. This is your host, Blake. On this week's episode of MLS Gone Wild, I am joined by two-time national champion at Mount Verde Academy, NCAA D1 Golden Boot winner in his senior year for the University of Denver, the fifth overall pick in the 2019 MLS Super Draft, 2019 MLS Rookie of the Year, and current forward for expansion side Charlotte FC, Andre Shinyashiki. Andre, welcome to MLS Gone Wild. Hello, Blake. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the warm welcome and, you know, telling everyone about all my accolades. I appreciate that. It makes it a little bit easier. So thank you. How are you doing tonight, man? How's the offseason treating you so far? Yeah, I'm doing great. I'm still in Charlotte. <clears throat> We're obviously doing an offseason training now. So uh, just, you know, here going to play uh, some games, you know, and stay here for stay here a couple weeks after the season. So uh, just good since the offseason is so long. Any vacations planned this offseason? Oh, well, I'm from Brazil. My family lives in Brazil. So, like, going home to me is just kind of like a vacation because it's somewhere in Brazil. So uh, that's going to be exciting, and I'm really excited to, you know, go back and see my family. Awesome, man. Well, enjoy your offseason and enjoy that trip back home to Brazil. But Halloween is less than a week away, so let's kick this episode off with five freaky questions. Andre, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right. Favorite Halloween costume you've ever worn? <laughs> Damn, bro, you're putting me on the spot. Well, I was Hugh Hefner last year. I thought that was a pretty cool one. That's a pretty good one. Are you a ladies' man? Uh, I wouldn't say I'm a ladies' man, but I just I had a robe that wasn't being used that I bought that was kind of expensive, and it was like a purple robe. So I was like, this is perfect. So it uh, makes it easy. You already had it. You're resourceful. Best, yeah. Hall- best Halloween candy? Oh, dude, I don't know many American candies, to be honest with you. I don't know, like maybe like Oreo or something. I don't know. Oh, man, that's not candy. <laughs> I don't even like is, uh, what what's like the name of a like Twix? Just Twix? A yeah, candy? dude, Twix, Snickers, Reese's, maybe some oh, sour gummy worms, man. Those are my, oh, I, I love like those. Sour Patch Kids, I like that. Sour oh, yeah. Kids. Yeah, we'll go with Sour Patch Kids. Okay, yeah, those are great. All right, this one might be a little difficult. Who's an opposing player that's haunted you the most? Wow. Maybe a defender that's really locked you down, something like that. Mm, uh, I played against Aikopara my first year. That's uh, a good one. Fast, strong, it's just so hard to beat. Um, yeah, and they were. He was. He was just very good when he was at Minnesota, so it was difficult. Yeah, he was a great defender. All right, scarier coach, Miguel Angel Ramirez or Christian Latanzio? <laughs> I'm gonna go with Christian Latanzio for sure. there's no way that's sarcasm right (laughs) no 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 uh really uh in my opinion yeah i think latanzio when latanzio gets angry he's scarier than miguel huh we'll get into that a little bit later all right next one pretend you're an author i'm not asking you to write like a non-fiction horror novel or anything like that but instead hypothetically of course pretend you're writing your own autobiography what are you titling it and why (laughs) damn bro Thought this was supposed to be easy. <laughs> uh, I don't know, probably like just a kid from Sao Paulo or something like that. 
I like that. So I always ask that question because I use that answer as the title of the podcast. So that's going to be the title right there. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I just feel like I was a, I was a nobody growing up, you know, like never had any, uh, like really people that believed in me that much people that like thought I was going to make it, you know, other than like my family and a couple coaches here and there, most of the people doubted me the whole way. I never was a big recruit anywhere. So that's why. And now look at you from just a kid in Sao Paulo to, <laughs> to the King of Queen city, right? Maybe that can be your nickname going forward. Maybe that- I would be the King of the Queen city. I think there's a couple guys still ahead of me, but um, I'm trying to make my name. Now you just signed an extension. So you got what, three more years to make that, uh, make that your nickname. Yeah, hopefully. Carol's probably got it right now, but it'll be yours. Yeah. Carol, uh, Carol, I mean, Carol's just such a, such a good player. So uh, I'm excited. I'm, I'm happy for him that he, you know, got what he deserved. Absolutely. All right. Bonus question before we get into the meat and potatoes of the episode, LAFC, Austin, Philly, and New York city FC remain in the MLS cup playoffs. Who do you think lifts the trophy on November 5th? God, such a hard question. I'm going to go with LAFC. Uh, I think the, the supporters show cr- curse will be broken. Wow. They're going to win the double. Okay. I mean, they, they got a hell of a team. <laughs> Oh, they get to play both games at home. If they, if they beat Austin, they play at home again. I think that's a huge advantage. Yeah. And you can't pick Philly because you guys demolished them 4-0 late in the season, right? Well, we beat New York and we beat we New York twice. And yeah, beat, you did. You swept them. So, uh, but we did get destroyed by LFC. So um, it's uh, fair. So what you could say if you guys, if either Philly or New York City goes on to win, you can go ahead and say that you guys either beat Philly, the MLS Cup champion 4-0, or swept the two-time, two-time back-to-back MLS Cup champions, New York City FC. I don't know. There's narratives to that. You can spin it however you want it. Yeah, 100%. I'm sure Latanzi will, will end up bringing it up at some point if one of them win it. I love that. All right, so before we get into your career that has taken you from Sao Paulo, Brazil, to Montverde, Florida, to Denver, Colorado, now to Queen City, Charlotte, North Carolina, I want to take it all the way back to where it started for you. So, Andre, why soccer? What made you fall in love with the beautiful game? Well, I think in Brazil, it's just like not an option. Like you don't really grow up thinking I'm going to play a different sport. Like, like, especially as, as a man, like as a boy, I guess, sorry. Like as a boy, it's, it's all soccer, like everywhere. Like, like you don't see like basketball courts, maybe nowadays you kind of do a little bit more. Like you don't see like people on this treats and people on the beach playing anything other than soccer so it's kind of hard for you to just like think of anything other than soccer so like I felt I, I obviously I fell in love with it but it was almost because there was no other option like the only option was soccer and uh like lucky that I was you know good at it from a young age so I was just I loved playing and I, and, and it just it just worked out yeah, I mean, five-time World Cup champions, the only nation in the world to qualify for every World Cup since it's, you know, since it started. Did you have a favorite player growing up, like favorite Brazilian player to watch or that you tried yeah. to emulate? R9, definitely. To me, it's still the best number nine that has ever played the game. Easy, easy. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah, and of, of course you grew up around the game. I mean, in Sao Paulo, the most probably most populated city in Brazil yeah. and the biggest club in brazil correct sao paulo uh the biggest club being sao paulo is a very touchy subject around the country so i'm gonna 
not speak on that, but the city is definitely the biggest city. Did you support Sao Paulo? I did not. Oh, who's your team? I don't, I don't talk about it because it's just, just opens up Pandora box for people, you know, that live in Brazil. Gotcha. Well, stray away from that one. So looking back at your time and experiences in Sao Paulo, Brazil, what was it like growing up there? And in what ways did growing up in the Brazilian culture shape who you are as a person and a player today? Yeah, I think that the good thing about Brazil is that it's hard to keep you sheltered, you know, and like you see the realities of, of poverty, violence and things like that. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily a good thing, that there is those things, but I think that it shapes you to be a more aware and a less sheltered person. And to me, that's what I feel like I kind of differ a lot from some of my American friends or some of the people that kind of grew up playing soccer in America. Is that just like I, I never really saw like soccer as like just a, just a game, you know. The thing about a lot of people talking about you know, football is more than a game. Like in Brazil is survival, is livelihood, is it's religion. Like it's everything for people there. And so, to me, it, it was just like, it, it just shaped me in a way that is different. Like, I don't, I don't see, like, soccer as just like, oh, I'm just going to go out and have fun. It's just like, this is, like, everything. Like, if, if you go to a soccer match in Brazil and you watch the game, it just, it means everything to those people. Like, the, their weeks are ruined if their team loses. So... Just having that like atmosphere, yeah. Obviously, I think everybody starts playing soccer because it's fun. But I think everybody realizes how important it is for Brazil as as a culture and things like that. And so, to me, that was kind of how I saw it from the beginning. And I think that seeing how much soccer mattered and seeing you know how it would really change people's lives for the better. And you know, a lot of players kind of coming from nothing to having the world at their feet because of football. I think that that really stuck with me. And that's something that shaped me as a person in a way that I can't even describe it. That's awesome, Andre. So there are more Brazilians in MLS right now than ever before. Andre, you're yeah. one of 35 Brazil natives in the league, but your journey to the league is completely different from most of the others. While most of those guys have come over on big transfers, you moved from Brazil to Florida to attend high school at Montverde Academy. Talk to me about that decision. How did the opportunity to attend Mount Verde come about and what factors led you to your decision to move literally 4,300 miles away? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because it, it kind of happened out of nowhere. I was uh, playing with a team when I was, I think, 15 in, uh, in Europe. I was playing with a Brazilian team in a tournament in Europe, just so that's explained better. And there was a guy on my team who wanted to come study in, in, in the U S and, you know, we've always talked about it. I, I had a, you know, I always liked the idea of coming to America, maybe not necessarily to play soccer, but just to like learn English and things like that. And so he kind of told me about the opportunity and I didn't really think much of it. And then one, another friend who kind of knew Michael Potempa, who was the head guy at Mount Verde Academy at the time, he just sent, literally sent a video of me scoring a goal in the final of the tournament and just kind of just kind of to do it, honestly, just to see like what would come out of it. You know, one of those like kind of like shot in the dark. I was like, yeah, you can send it like see what happens. And then like 
Mike Potempo basically gave me like a scholarship, a good scholarship based off of one single video of one goal that he saw. And I had no idea what Montverde was like. I had no idea what the school was like. I had no idea what the soccer program was like, what the facility. I had never seen a picture of Montverde. I had never met anybody that ever went to Montverde. It was their first year as a soccer program. I knew nothing. In literally three days, I got my visa and I just packed my bags and went because I was like already, already kind of late to the whole like recruiting process. And yeah, and like that's kind of like how I ended up at Montverde. And like once I got there, just everything just started to kind of click for me. I mean, all of that must have happened really, really fast. And that's a huge life changing decision. I mean, look where you're at now. Look where the game brought you. Did you have any kind of, you know, thoughts of should I maybe do this? Or what did your family think? Like, what was the thought process like? And like, what was the ultimate factor that said, you know what, I'm going to pull the trigger and I'm going to America? Yeah, that was, that's a good question. Because to be honest, when I was like 15 in Brazil, you kind of have to choose between like playing soccer and going to school. Like it's like you either go to a really bad school or you play bad soccer. You can't do both. And I, I, I didn't want to pick between both. Uh, I always took school like fairly serious. And um, I'd like I didn't want my parents didn't want me to do that. And to be honest, I wasn't getting like many looks from good teams in Brazil. I was going to like really bad teams. And it was just like I just kn knew that if I stayed in Brazil, I probably would not have become like probably it probably wouldn't have worked out for me because it was also during that time where like all of my friends started going out and drinking and like partying and meeting girls and things like that. And I was kind of falling into that trap of, you know, doing those things that are just directly, um, the, the, like they're directly counter to playing well and being an athlete, you know? So to me, like having, going on very, very like, there's basically, you cannot have any distractions. Like that was a good thing for me too. So, and my parents, my mom was like very skeptical, wasn't sure if she wanted me to go, but I kind of banked and I was like, mom, please let me go. Like, I think it's going to be a good thing for me. And my dad was just left it up for me. He's like, you're uh, your own man. You can decide what you want to do. So yeah, I moved. And it was originally supposed to just stay for one year and come back. And then I just stayed for two years, became four years. Now it's been 10 years. Yeah, that's insane. And if I were to tell you six or seven years ago that you would be able to call yourself a professional soccer player, you know, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that? And what was the feeling when your name was actually called fifth overall in the 2019 MLS Super Draft to the Colorado Rapids? I mean, if you told me I was going to be a pro when I was like 16, 17, I probably wouldn't have believed you. I was like so far off. I, like I, just, I mean, I'll be honest, I just wasn't very good at soccer. Like that's the reality. Like, the coaches that didn't believe in me and the coaches that told me I wasn't good enough, like they were right. At the time, like, I wasn't good enough. But I just kept working. Like, I worked so much harder than everyone else. Like, if you talk to my people that know me at Montverde or people that know me in Denver, like, I would just well, outworked everybody for, like, years. Literally, like, years and years. It wasn't like, oh, I went out. I went out and worked on shooting on a Saturday, September 25th of 2017. You know, like, I outworked people all the time. Like, literally every session for years and years and years and years and years. Like, ultimately, it paid off because... Like you said, when I heard my name being called like that high into the draft too, like it was just such an amazing feeling. Yeah, because you go from taking such a risk and all that sacrifice that go, goes involved with that risk to then, you know, realizing your dreams and becoming a professional athlete. But I want to go back to something you said when I asked about the autobiography, you were to title your autobiography, Just a Kid from Sao Paulo, and your explanation 
was kind of, you know, I was kind of overlooked, you know, I wasn't highly recruited. At what point was it like, did it sink in that said, you know what, I think that I could turn my dreams into realities and I could play professional soccer here in America. Like, I don't think there was like a light bulb moment where I was like, I'm going, you know, it's going to happen. Like I just, during my years at Denver, I could see like some of the players that we would play against and they would go pro. And I was like, dude, that guy wasn't that good. I think I can be better than him, but I could never put together performances consistently that would like give me like, like that would change, you know, that would, I would go from like that lock, which is kind of like how we talk about this guy's a lock for the draft or this guy's a lock for going pro. Like even my second year in college, my sophomore year, like we were like, we, as a team, it was my, university's most successful year we went to the final four I was the leading goal scorer on the team but I it still wasn't I was still not there and then I like the next year I scored nine goals again but it wasn't there and then I just you know I I, I didn't come back home all of junior to senior year in college I just kept working did PDL everything just you know worked super hard and then like my senior year just everything clicked like everything that wasn't clicking in different years it, it kind of did and that's when I kind of knew. I mean, I honestly didn't feel like it was like a really a dream come true, not even until the draft, because I already knew during the draft, like that I was going to go because they offered me a senior deal like two months before. So like as soon as that senior deal came, I think in late November or December, that's when I, when I knew that I was going to go pro and that like gave me a little bit of ease and just happiness. But I didn't really know until like very late into like becoming a pro that I really was going to. Yeah. And you adjusted to the pro game really, really well. You made it look easy. Almost you were named MLS rookie of the year in 2019 and racked up 1000 plus minutes in each of your first three seasons. So of the 720 possible minutes for the Rapids this season, however, you played just 212 after a very fast start to your professional career and a first place finish in the West in 2021, you were traded from the Colorado Rapids to expansion side Charlotte FC for up to $400,000 and Don Garber bucks. What changed in Colorado this season that led to the trade? How did the trade come about and why Charlotte? Okay. So, so the first question I think is um, the, your first question was what happened in Colorado. I think that it was kind of a, it wasn't like I just plummeted. It was like a slow, slow decrease in, uh, minutes and and like con goal contributions, I would say. Uh, I just think that the way that Colorado started playing after my first year, my first year we played very offensive. It was four. It was like four three three. We're going, we're going like, and we scored a lot. We gave up a lot. It was kind of a crazy year. We fired a coach, got another coach, then got Robin, which was the third coach of the year. So just a crazy year, and then. Even the first half of 2020, kind of like during the COVID time, like we still played like 4-3-3, you know, kind of that formation that like really suited me uh, up until pretty much all of 2020. And then in the beginning of 2021, we played still 4-3-3. And I was starting, I, I think I, in 2021, I started almost like the first eight games or something. And then we went to three back. And, you know, I think that I don't want to like, blame it only on specifically the formation because I don't think that's fair but like it just it didn't suit me like I'm either a guy that I want to be a guy that plays close to goal 
you know, winger come inside, go to goal, second forward, a nine, something like that. And as when you play a three, I would say we played a five, three, two, which is, I think is more accurate or five, four, one. And I was never the two or the one. I was always like one of the three behind. So I was playing really far from going. I just didn't feel like that was my best uh, attribute. And, you know, I kind of rode 2021 out because like we were doing so well and I, I just, I was, I wanted to be a part of that and I wanted to help the team as much as I could, which I feel like I did. I mean, I still contributed with a good amount of goals and, you know, good performances, but I, I felt like I was going towards that direction of like playing less and less and being less important to the organization, which I didn't like, but I still, I wrote it out. And then I, I, kind of thought about uh, asking for a trade in the, in, the, in the end of the year. And Charlotte was already one of the places that considered me, especially because Miguel has a good relationship with my agent. And, you know, he inquired about me even during the expansion draft, but I was protected. So there was nothing they could do about it. And then, yeah, and then preseason came around. I kind of saw that we were going to play that same formation again. And I wasn't really playing much. I wasn't getting the the minutes that I wanted to. And then, uh after a couple games i just pulled the trigger and asked for the trade i was like i want to leave i want to go somewhere i can play close to goal you know my contract was running out at the time too so i was like i need to be somewhere where um where i'm gonna get the most out of out of myself out of my what i feel like are my abilities so that's what i decided to do and you know colorado was happy to trade me i think that they also realized that they could got they could get some money for me since I wasn't like really playing or contributing that much. And I, I, I always saw Charlotte as an opportunity because at the time, Miguel was a guy who played a style of, of soccer that I really liked. It was a guy that I knew valued me. It was a guy that I knew wanted me close to the goal, who saw me for that. And I think that when your thoughts of what I want for myself align with the coach's thoughts, I think that's when you really have something special. So it was great. And I mean, I was so happy that I came and it just, and also, Thanks to Colorado because they were very easy to, you know, talk to and they were very willing to, to trade me. So uh, the end of the day, was, it was great for everybody, I think. Before we get more into Charlotte, do you have any favorite moments from the Colorado Rapids? Yeah, the moment that we found out that we had won the West was pretty cool. Like, because we, I mean, I'll be honest, I, I, I wouldn't say that we didn't believe because you always believe, but like there were so many things that had to happen on decision day for us to win it. And like us beating, like we smashed LAFC like 5-2 at home or something. It was like five, I don't know. It was a crazy game. And then like we we're just watching. I think it was like Kansas City was playing RSL or something. I knew we knew that Seattle had lost. And then like Kansas City has like a literally a ball right in front of the goal and somehow they miss and we're like, oh my God, like we're going to do it. And then like finding out that we won was just, I think that was probably my, my favorite memory as, as a team in Colorado. Sounds like a pretty MLS gone wild moment, you know, very, yeah, on, very on brand for yeah. this podcast. Yes, for sure. Very cool. Well, I had to ask, we, we weren't going to touch much on Colorado. So I, I figured I'd ask your favorite moment, but from one goal in 212 minutes with the Rapids this year to seven total goals and one assist in 835 minutes with Charlotte, you are having your best statistical year since your rookie season, the underlying per 90 numbers back it up as well. I'm a nerd. Uh, of the players that recorded over 500 minutes, you led the team in goals per 90, shots per 90, shots on target per 90, and expected goals per 90. 
a lot of per 90s there. Andre, describe your style of play. You kind of have, you can just kind of go further here and how your strengths on the field have aligned with Charlotte's system to enable you to flourish once again. Yeah, like I think Charlotte, like we play very attacking minded football. I love that. Like that's what I, that's what I like. You Like we, we, we played every time to beat teams. You know, we don't play kind of defending ourselves and hoping. Like we don't play hopeful soccer. I, I like that. Like we don't change our mentality when you go away from home. We still, you know, try to impose our game. And I, I really like that. So uh, maybe sometimes that can be kind of a cocky way of thinking. But I think that, you know, we have to be ambitious if we want to achieve great things. And as a, as a player, I think I like to be near the box, scoring goals, assisting things like that sounds super basic but I just feel like those are my strengths like I am that guy that the ball just falls to in the box and like it just I have been my entire life sometimes I let it play 90 minutes I don't see the ball I don't touch the ball I don't do anything and then I score a goal in the 90th minute that's how it's been like my whole life not just in professional soccer so I just like being around the box because I think that you know I can always create something so for me to you know be in those in those um, situations is what I've been doing my entire life. And then obviously I like, I love pressing as well. I love to win the ball higher up the field because that way you can really hurt opponents when you play high up the field and you win the ball. So I just like that here, we have a style of press that allows us to do that. So I just think that, you know, I think it overall, it just aligns a lot with what I like. So you talk about those strengths on the pitch, you're pressing, being in front of goals, setting up goals, all those things. But Andre, how about your mentality? Did you feel like you had something to prove when you came to Charlotte? Yeah, hundred percent. Cause I was really angry. Like when I left Colorado, you know, I had a lot of anger in my heart. I was like, I can't believe these guys are like not playing me. I can't believe these guys are just like letting me go. I was like, I, I like, I, I, like I, I wanted to stay in Colorado so bad. Like in 2020, 2021, like I, I, I saw my, I never saw myself leaving Colorado, you know, the first two, three years of my career. So I was just like, I can't believe that these guys are not playing me. I can't believe that these guys are, you know, I wouldn't say they're not believing in me, but in a way they weren't, you know, because I wasn't on the field. So they were, they were just, they weren't really believing in me in, in that way. So, I, I mean, they liked me as a person, but they, I don't think they liked me as a player as much. And so that really hurt me and that really like, it stuck with me. But I have a good relationship with like all the coaches and, you know, all the players as well in Colorado, so I have not a bad thing to say about them, but like inside, I just felt the anger. Like I would, we would play games on Saturday and I wouldn't play. I would go back home and the gym and my apartment was like 24 hours. So I'd go back home at like 12 after I got home from a game and just lift, like lift so hard, run so hard. Like I was in that like maniac mentality of like, I have something to prove and I'm going to just be ready for when it comes. Cause I also knew that I needed a new contract at the end of the year. So I was like, I need to be ready for when that moment comes. And so that was kind of like at the transitional moment that was like, I need, you know, I need to, this it's do or die now. Like I come to Charlotte, I need to score goals. I need to do something like, otherwise I could be, you know, and I could be in the gutter. So I was just ready for that moment. Yeah. The reason I ask is because you absolutely played like you had something to prove, right? Of your six league goals scored this season, five of them, or game-tying or game-winning goals. Those are point-winning goals that almost got you guys into the playoffs, right? Four of yeah. those six goals were when you were used as a second-half sub. So every player obviously wants to start and play as much as possible. 
but how are you able to stay positive in your role coming off the bench at times? And what is it about you in those clutch moments, man? Yeah, I mean, at the University of Denver, the guy used to call me Mr. Cardiac because I think I had like seven goals in overtime or something. That was some crazy stat. But yeah, I just feel like, you know, when the defense slips a little bit, like I'm just always there. I'm just always ready for like a crazy moment. So uh, I think that, I mean, I, I'm not sure it's even about just like staying positive when you're on the bench. Like I'm pissed on the bench. Like a lot of the days I like I'm, I wake up thinking about game day, like I'm going to be on the bench. Like I hate this. This sucks. But you use that as like a fuel for when you come in, like you just, you know, do like just do the best you can. And I'm trying so hard not to like curse here, but you just like you just throw you just throw stuff down. You just get on people's face. You just do whatever you can to prove that you deserve to start. So to me, that's kind of like how it is. You know, I wouldn't say that I'm necessarily like all smiley and joking when I'm on the bench, but uh, I definitely just try to do my best and prove that I deserve more and more minutes from the bench or from the starting or whenever. I love that mentality. What did you say they called you in Denver, Mr. Cardiac? Yeah, they called me. I think it, it was Mr. Cardiac, but it was it was cardiac something else. There was another thing that they said. Probably the cardiac kid, man. I might I might name the podcast that cardiac kid <laughs> featuring Andre Shinyashiki because those stats and what you just backed it up with in Denver. You've been doing this for a long time, man. Yeah, I have, and this I have kind of like a thing for the the crazy moments for sure. I've got to ask you about your game tying goal and stoppage time in the final match of the season at the bank. Of course, it was against my beloved Columbus crew. So this stings a little bit, right? But in your yeah. eyes, how did that play unfold? What did you see and what were you feeling when the 34,000 plus fans at the bank exploded as you gave them hope until the final whistle of the home season? Yeah, kind of like a bittersweet moment because like it was it was a good goal and like everybody went crazy. But at the end of the day, like we couldn't like it didn't matter. You know, it, it didn't it didn't really matter because we were still out even with the game time goal. But like that feeling of just giving people hope is like amazing. And that's what I love so much about those crazy goals. It's just like like no matter what people say, like, yes, all goals count the same. But, like those just have a different feeling to them because you just know how like that, like the, that's what the people are there for, you know, like fans, they love that craziness that like. You know, people always call soccer boring, no, no scoring. And like when you have moments like that, it's just like, just, it's just everything. It's just the, the sound of the stadium is amazing. You look at the bench, everybody's with you. So those are those types of moments are amazing. And that specific one was amazing because it gave us hope. And at the end of the day, we couldn't, you know, really capitalize on it. But that it made the last two minutes of the game very hectic, which is, you know, all we can ask for really. And in the last two minutes, anything can happen to my beloved Columbus crew. We give up more goals in the final minutes than anybody else. Did That's you know, fair. did you know that going into that moment that was like, you know, what, let me just find some space in the box and maybe I can tie this thing up. I, I actually read that Columbus crew had is the team that gave up the most leads this year. So um, I was like, I mean, I didn't really think about it at that mo specific moment, but right. I just like, as soon as I scored, I was like, damn, they did it again. They found another way to like, lose two points so uh thanks to them oh man hopefully crew fans aren't listening 
You know, I'm glad I have you on here, but I wish Darlington Nagby was awake defending during that play. Cause if he would have just turned and seen you or they would have talked, that wouldn't have happened, but that's just classic. Yeah, difficult to talk though in our stadium. Like it's actually really hard to hear each other at the stadium because the fans are so loud, but yeah, there's a, the, the journalist at DU is a huge Columbus crew fan. And, you know, he had to send me a text after the game and, you know, I scored twice in Columbus. I scored at Columbus. Yeah, you did. Yes, I know. I know. So he was, <laughs> he was very angry at me. So he sent me a text, but I was just like, yeah. It's like you guys just love blowing up leads. Ah, that's that's the crew, man. We yeah, let's let's get off of that subject. So that was probably what one of your most emotional goals of the season. Do you have a favorite this year? Uh the one against Miami is still my favorite. Because it was a game winning goal. Because uh, it was my first Because you're the cardiac kid. Of course it was a game winner. Yeah, it was it was it, it was just like how angry I was at like the situation, just like that, you know, disguise of like, yes, like finally. Like that was huge for me. I can't believe it wasn't the Nashville goal because that was a certified banger, my guy. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was, I was happy. I mean, obviously the goal against Nashville was, I think, a better goal, but that one meant more to me than one against Miami. Absolutely. So, Andre, we've given some credit to your strengths, your style of play, your mentality, but it's time now to give a little credit to the permanent manager of Charlotte FC. That's right. The interim tag has been ripped off, and Christian Latanzio is now the permanent manager of Charlotte FC in an expansion year full of ups and downs. How has he been able to provide stability and improve club culture? Yeah, I think, I mean, I was working very closely with Latanzio since I got here because as an assistant coach, you have more of a personal relation with the players and kind of took me under his wing right away. and was just like, yeah, let me help you. Um, let me, you do this thing, but you can we do that. You know, can we, you can maybe do this to improve your game. I think you can do that. And uh, I'm not going to say I got mad when he became the head coach, but I just, I know how those things are. Like I knew we were going to, I was going to lose that personal relation with him because it's just different when you're the head coach and you're making the decisions. So to me, I was obviously like happy for him because he deserves, you know, he deserves that probably more than anybody else in the world. But like, I just knew from a, my personal development side that I was going to miss him in that way of like, I was always doing stuff with him after training. He was always talking to me, you know, outside in the locker room and things like that. Uh, but, you know, kudos to him. He he was really the glue that kept it all together. So he, he deserves this more than anyone else. So this is a team that fired Miguel Angel Ramirez, what, a month after you came into the team? The guy that knew your agent that brought you in and then, you know, you had Latanzio take over. So you've been with this team essentially for a full season and you've seen it come full circle for Latanzio. Would you actually say that he's improved the club culture in year one? Yeah, I think so. He has, I think he just understands just how football works in a multi-dimensional way. Like he understands it's not just about, you know, 11 guys on the field. He understands that there's, there's more to that. And I think that that's important in an organization. Um, but even when they decided to, you know, fire Miguel, uh, Bobby Belair, who is the assistant to GM here, came to me and was like, look, I know that there's this perception that Miguel brought you, but we all brought you here. Me, Zoran, Latanzio, Miguel, everybody here believes in you. And, you know, I really appreciated that because it was just good to see that. I wasn't like, oh, no, I'm left in the dark because I just because the, the head coach is gone. So. Uh, that in a way was very important to me. And I think that they've all done a good job of creating a winning culture here. 
So earlier in the podcast, when uh, our Halloween themed questions, I asked you who was the scarier head coach, and you said Latanzio. Why do you why do you say that? I mean, I don't know how much I can like spill the beans here about how Latanzio is on a daily basis, but he he can be kind of a scary coach. You know, he he gets into players, and if players not doing their job, like it's gonna be very known. And I think that because he wants to win so bad, and because he has the winning mentality, sometimes it may you know, come off a little harsh and, you know, he, he has his Italian sayings and his Italian kind of slang that he uses that nobody really understands what he's talking about. So I think it's great because he just can, he can say them and, you know, have no, nobody judging for it. So, uh, but yeah, he can be scary sometimes the, he can, you know, really get into, into people, but I, I, I honestly, like, I love that. I love a coach that, you know, wants to win as bad as the players and is like, like it has, losing has to hurt and if if like losing a ball has to hurt missing a goal has to hurt like if it doesn't hurt then you're in the wrong profession sounds like you two have very similar mentalities yeah i would say so we are we're definitely very two very fiery people well perfect because like latanzio you also just extended your stay in charlotte another three years by signing a contract extension good at least through 2025 you chose charlotte once earlier this may but what, what is it about the project under Latanzio and company that enticed you to re-sign in your prime? Yeah, I, I just think that what they're doing here is like special, honestly. They're building a new facility that's going to be a state-of-the-art, one of the best facilities in MLS. I think that the fans really care about the club, and that makes a huge difference. Playing in front of 35,000 people rather than, you know, most clubs in MLS play less than 20,000. That makes a huge difference, and... It's just, it just, it was a good situation for me. You know, I, I was succeeding. So like, why would I, you know, walk away from a winning situation? It made no sense. So it was just good. And, you know, we were, we were, I was grateful that they gave me a great offer and uh, we found something that worked out for both parties. A lot of competition in your position next year. A lot of wingers. Have they talked about a role for 2023 for you? No, I think I'm still, you know, trying to, they're, they're still trying to decide if I'm a nine, if I'm a winger, if I'm a 10. You know, I think that I can be pretty versatile, but at the end of the day, I just want to be on the field close to the goal. If I can keep doing that, then I think that I'll be successful. But I think it's hard to say, like, oh, I am a second nine or I am a left winger or I am a right winger. It's hard. I'm not the player that you just – you can just say, oh, you're that, and you're, you're only going to be that. So, like, this offseason, I've been training a lot in the midfield and – blink as kind of like behind the striker and I've enjoyed it. So to me, it's just, you know, adding layers to my game. Awesome. That takes me right to my next question. 2022 brought change and a resurgence for you. What are your goals for the off season? You talked about playing almost as that number 10 behind the striker. Is there anything else particular that you're working on? And do you have any individual goals for next season? Yeah, I think I want to score at least seven goals, you know, get at least, three assists. That's what I did my rookie year. I think I, I can really get back to that, but I think in my rookie year, I put up consistent, very good performances. And I think that I need to, you know, really get back to that because obviously scoring goals is good and, you know, it gets, it gets you paid and whatnot, but ultimately to help the team, you need to, you know, put together complete performances, top to bottom, just all around. And I think that that's what I'm going to be working on, on the off season, just making myself a more complete player. That is, you know, physically a lot in a lot of ways. I think that's when you really have to put in the work is in the off season. So 
to me is that's 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 what the offseason is going to be about. You talked about, like I said, playing as that number 10 this offseason and training like that. Are there any parts of your technical game that you're working on to improve? Yeah, I think I think soccer is about first touch. I think like your first touch is everything. So to me, it's just I think improving my first touch is can go a long way. Any closing thoughts for the lovely people of Charlotte that have taken the time to listen to this episode? No, I just wanted to thank everybody for listening. I know it's uh, I can talk a lot sometimes when I get on these podcasts, sometimes say things I shouldn't, but try to stay true to myself and just, you know, not be another boring interview that everybody's tired of hearing. Awesome. No, this was definitely not boring. Very entertaining and very enlightening. Thank you so much, Andre. No problem. Thank you. Listeners, thanks for tuning into MLS Gone Wild, episode 92, featuring Charlotte FC forward Andre Shinyashiki. 2022 was a big year for him. I'd expect even bigger things in 2023. That concludes my coverage of Charlotte FC for the year. It's been a pleasure talking with and getting to know you all this year. I appreciate all the love you've given me, and I look forward to doing it again in 2023. Until next time, take care of yourselves and one another, and remember the name, Andre Shinyashiki. <laughs>